You're listening to Diversity Matters, a podcast about raising awareness and education through thought-provoking discussion, opinions, experiences, and inspirational stories from the complex world of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Here's your host, Mike Seeley. Hello and welcome to Diversity Matters, where every voice is welcome and every story is celebrated. I'm your host, Mike Seeley, and I explore the unique perspectives and experiences of innovative leaders, advocates, and changemakers committed to creating a more diverse and inclusive world. My special guest this week is Joshua Pierce. He's the founder and CEO of the Diversity Org. It's a global nonprofit organization that brings high school students predominantly from underrepresented backgrounds, and connects them with big global corporations with amazing outcomes. And I'll get Joshua to explain more later. Joshua, welcome to Diversity Matters. Mike, thank you so much for having me. Extremely excited to be a part of Diversity Matters. Good. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Do you want to start off, Joshua, by just talking a little bit um, about yourself? Yes. So my name is Joshua Pierce. I am from New Jersey and I am the CEO and founder of the global nonprofit, the Diversity Org, where similar to like you just said, we teach students from low income and minority backgrounds about how to obtain various corporate and high income careers. Um, We get to... (laughs) We get to partner with some of the biggest companies in the world, everything from, of course, informal markets, AT&T, EY, JPMorgan Chase, Blackstone, Warner Bros. Discovery, Verizon, Alliance Bernstein, Kellogg, and so much more. Wow. So tell me, you're dealing with a lot of big Fortune 500 companies, but how did this all start? Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. So how it started was, well, first, when I was in high school, I had a very low marks, very low grades in school. At one point, I had a 1.7 GPA. So I was down bad. It was down horrendous. And So just um, quickly, let me stop you there very quickly. So for those of us who are listening outside of America, what does that mean, the GPA? Can you explain that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Grade point average. So um, I, it was very, just very low marks. I think like equivalent to maybe like... I forgot the numbers in the UK, maybe like one or two or three. Like my grades were very, very, my marks were very low. And so, and I also came from a family that was not too economically successful. My mom lost her job. She worked in education as well. So between having a low GPA and uh, being socioeconomically uh, disadvantaged, uh, those two things put me in a track to not becoming who I am today. And I was going, I was on the road to not being as successful. And when I was about to graduate high school, my aunt calls me and she's like, Joshua, would you like to work at the television network, BET? So I'm like, BET, of course, let me, I'm trying to get paid, auntie. Like, I don't really have to figure it out. So I get a job at the company BET and I see the corporate environment in a way that I never knew existed before. And I was able to see behind the scenes of production and I was working with a lot of people who are older than me and it just opened my eyes. And my mom says, look, Joshua, it's great. You're working with BET now. You're making good money. But the reality is you're a black male in the United States. There's only so far you can go without a real education. 
So I'm like, okay, well, I guess my mom knows best. So she says, go back to school. So I go back to community college uh, because that's the only thing I can get into with such low marks and such low grades. So I end up going to community college. I get my GPA up to a 3.6, one of the, you know, the highest, one of the highest GPAs you can get in the States. And then I graduate from that community college and I go to New York University, a top 25 university across the country. And then I build really great mentors like Spike Lee and John Sexton, who's uh, the former president of NYU. And they really mentor me and help me develop. And from that point, we start the diversity organization. And now years later, it's blown up. It's now we're a global organization making an impact for tens of thousands of students on a monthly basis. And the reason I share all this is because the reason this organization started was because of how my story started is I was low income and I am a person of color. And if I didn't have an aunt who worked at BET to open myself up and open my perspective up to what careers could be, the diversity org wouldn't even be invented and I wouldn't get the opportunity to be on Diversity Matters, right? So um, when we work with our corporate partners, that's what we want them to see themselves as. Is Although they may not be that related to these students, they can be like that aunt from BET figure that exposes these young students to a plethora of opportunity that's out there so that they can become successful. And some of these students, their stories will be significantly greater. And I'm just happy to be a part of the process. Oh, that's great. I'm going to take you back just a little bit because, you know, you were saying that your aunt kind of got you into BET, but it was your mum that said, hey, in order for you to be successful going forward, you do need to have an education. How do you go from where you have these kind of low GPA scores, you know, and all of a sudden now you're getting good results? What was it that motivated you to to learn and to, to develop and really kind of come away with, you know, a high level qualification? Yeah, Mike, that's a brilliant question. So I, when I think about a lot of students who come from these areas and they're not sometimes doing as well in school, it's not that they're not intellectually capable. It's oftentimes they don't understand how a specific class will translate to a specific job or a specific future. And I think, you know, a lot of educational institutions, you know, generally we just don't do a great job at, you know, the, the educational institutions don't do a great job at showing students this class leads to this job, which will lead you to this income. And if more students knew that, then they would be able to be more motivated to do better in school because they have that direct correlation. And that's exactly what we brought to the diversity or we're like, OK, if schools aren't going to teach you about college majors, majors or university majors or specific jobs, or specific industries will be that gap and come in and, br- and bridge that gap so students can be able to get that knowledge. So that's what it was for me. Excellent. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, having uh, graduated and having had a taste at BET, you know, you chose to set up the diversity org. So tell me, how did that start? Why did you make that choice uh, as opposed to going back into the entertainment industry? That's a really good. You're coming with it. Mike's coming with the questions. Okay. Uh, I'm ready for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, there was the, I don't really talk about this often, but there was a pit, there was like a fork in the road moment because um, I started the diversity organization. It was funny how this started. So I was trying to graduate from my community college to get into New York University. And I was like, OK, right now, my GPA, my grades are really great. <clears throat> 
However, math um, is kind of my Achilles heel. Math I'm having some challenges with. So I went to the chairperson, like the, the dean of the math department at that community college. And I met with her, had like a, a button up. I went super professional. I was like, hey, you know, I'm trying to get into NYU. I do not want my math scores to be able to prevent me from getting into NYU. What can I do? Should I do some extra credit? What can I do to be able to ensure that my grade is good enough to get me into NYU? And then she looks at me, she pauses. She's like, hey, would you like to be the president of the Black Student Union? And I'm like, I'm like, Black Student Union, I'm here about math. I don't really know what's going on. But I was like, okay, let me let me think about it. Let me pray about it. So I come back two days later, pray about it, think about it. I'm like, what about a diversity organization? And she's like, mm, okay. Well, she's like, hey, you're the only person in it, so you got to start it. So I'm like, what? I didn't know I was the only person. <laughs> I thought you had a whole organization. You needed a leader. I was like, all right, you know what? Okay, cool. Since I already committed to it, I might as well just keep going. So before that point, all I was thinking was entertainment. I'm going into the entertainment industry. I'm going into the entertainment industry. But that moment was the moment where I was like, okay, I said I'll commit to this diversity organization thing. I might as well keep going. And from there, the first semester, over 700 people signed up. And we were like, wow, okay, there's a lot of uh, interest in being a part of this organization from students across the, the campus. And from that point, it just blew up and it became very successful. Um, but it took about eight to nine years. We're almost at nine years now. By like year six or seven is when we started to really see success. But there was a time when I graduated NYU and I got a job offer to work at another company and I had to make that decision. Do I? And I was like around 22 or 23 and I had to make a decision. I was like, do I go for this company? It's a $50,000 salary. It sounded like everything to me because I was paying for Chinese food with quarters at the time. I had no <laughs> money. I was like, you know, $50,000 just sounded, this sounded like Two million to me at the time. So I'm like, do I go to this job in the diversity org? We didn't even make over $10,000 that year. So I'm like, all right, what do I do? But I was like, you know what? If I look back and I'm 28, 33, I'll look back and say, I didn't give that diversity org thing a fair shot. And I didn't really give it my all for enough time. And that, just thinking about that regret, I was just like, you know what? I, if, if this whole diversity org thing fails, I can still go get that job again. But if it wins, who knows what can happen with it? Mm -hmm. And luckily it won. So, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, really grateful that it's been super successful and, you know, God's really uh, helped to guide it. And, um, you know, we've had incredible partners and incredible students uh, be able to get valuable opportunities. And that's kind of what happened. That's great. So you, you saw the vision, right? You saw the vision and you chased the dream. So tell me a little bit more about Diversity Hall, because, look, you're dealing with many, many high schools all across the U.S. and, and around the world. But also you're, you're, you've built up connections with large Fortune 500 corporations. You know, how, how does how does that recipe come together? How did you manage to kind of make all of those connections and, and then kind of bring it together? Yeah. So this this is a really, really brilliant question. Um, and you're coming with a lot of questions that I haven't gotten. So this is this is it. Mike, <laughs> diversity matters. That's I, the whole I like idea, this. right? <laughs> I like this. I like this. Mike is coming. Great. So um, but yeah. Uh, so how we got connections to the corporation. So just to give some perspective, my mom was an elementary school teacher and my dad was a mail carrier. So they had quite literally zero connections to global corporations. And so 
The other thing about the nonprofit space, which um, historically was kind of inequitable, is when you think about very successful nonprofits, um, it kind of comes from a place of an entrepreneurship as as a whole comes from a place of privilege most of the time because you have to be able to have capital to start something up. So if you don't have access to resources, it's more difficult for you to be able to build your entrepreneurial endeavor because you don't have the startup capital that other people may have access to. So that already kind of puts people of color or people from low income backgrounds in a disadvantaged place when it comes to building a nonprofit or being an entrepreneur. So that was a challenge in and of itself. But then, um, you know, so it was all those combinations of challenges, but that didn't really um, stop us. So I recognized, okay, for me to be able to build a successful nonprofit, the only way that it's only going to be very successful is it quite literally has to be the best at what it does, period. That's it. Because and the great thing about large companies that they don't get enough credit for is large companies will work with an organization if that organization is the best at what it does. It's more it's more meritocratic when it comes to big companies. They're like, hey, we're going to invest our resources in it. We want the best results, period. And we don't care if it comes from this race or that race. As long as it's the best product or service, period, we're going to be able to get behind it. And of course, if it's socially responsible and you know equitable and all those other things as well. So I was like, okay. So that's what it was. And um, so we started the diversity organization. I was when I graduated NYU, there was this program and a lot of young people of color don't know about this as well. Um, there's these things called entrepreneurial incubators. And essentially what they are, are it's like entrepreneurship school for young entrepreneurs to be able to have mentors and teach them about what they can do for their venture specifically to make sure that it scales and becomes successful, right? So and I applied for that program while I was in NYU. And how I heard about it was from my mentor, John Sexton, the former president of NYU. So it goes to show how important connections are because he opened my eyes to this incubator program. And this incubator program quite literally changed our organization's trajectory because it helped us to develop our business model from a very methodical way from having these other mentors and entrepreneurs help to uh, guide us during that time. So that's how I was able to kind of start to understand the corporate environment a little bit. Um, they gave us some insights on how to navigate that. But what we did is we cold called and cold emailed a bunch of Fortune 500 companies. And I just said, hey, I'm 22 years old. My name is Joshua. I'm a young entrepreneur. I am in NYU right now. And I'm just trying to learn about how nonprofits partner with corporations. And then what I did is I got I called about uh, a few hundred, but I think about 60 actually took a meeting with me. And out of those 60, what I did was I then collected data on what companies need. So if I realized all 50 out of 60, they like this, or 30 out of 60 don't like this, I was able to quite literally design an organization that understands how most large companies want to uh, engage with the nonprofit. Therefore, I was able to use that data to uh, you know, kind of advise and direct our organization to become what it is today. And then over time, it continued to evolve once we put into practice. And one most important thing, we maintained relationships with those 60 people that I called. So I would check in on them on the holidays. I would give them updates on where our organization wow. is. And at one point, an organization, the first one, HBO was like, hey, you know, you've been do doing this for a while. You've been keeping us updated. Um, it seems like you actually have a good business model here. We're, we're open to giving you your first grant. And they gave us our, our first grant. 
And from there, we use that HBO brand. We're like, okay, we got HBO now. We're going to go to every company and let them know we got HBO behind us. And now you should partner with us as well. And so that's what it's been. And now our organization has grown significantly. We're working with some of the biggest companies in the world. And now we don't even do any outreach. Companies now reach out to us because the word of mouth has become so successful. That's fantastic. Tell me, um, obviously, as as a young black man in America, um, and we know how difficult it, it can be, particularly in the corporate world. Did you kind of face any any challenges with that? That's a really, really great question. Um, uh, so the short answer is yes, but also understanding how to n- navigate See, one of the things is when, as a person of color, especially in the United States, it's often times that we can kind of we can kind of live in a state where we don't feel deserving sometimes, or we feel like you know there's imposter syndrome at times. I felt all those things, and one of the things is like I said earlier, if you try, and this is not a hundred percent going to always be the result. But if you try to quite literally create the best product or service and you show up and you're consistent, you know, out for six years, we made under $10,000 in funding. Most people would give up. They would blame the system. They would blame this and blame that. We just persevered through all of that struggle and quite literally tried to build the most potent version of the service that we can provide. And that's what helped because there was a time where I was like, is it because I'm black that I'm not getting through? Or is it because of this or is it because of that? And there could have, that could, there could have been some validity to those statements, but what's most important is to persevere through those challenges and not get into a state where you're to blame yourself for why, you know, ethnically you're the reason why you can't be successful. Realize, is it my business model? Is it something that I can adapt? Is it something I can change to be a better service to my clients and to my beneficiaries and to the students. So short answer is yes, I felt like that. However, what was most important was persevering past it and being able to quite literally create the best thing possible to be able to make yourself undeniable. Yeah, that's great. Now you've spoken a couple of times about, you know, the vision about being being the best at delivering this. Is there anybody else doing this in, in the US that you're aware of? Yes, yes. So there are. Um, so one of the things also that we did is to be the best. We one of the things you have to do is you have to study the best, as you know, right? Mm-hmm. So Kobe Bryant studied Michael Jordan, and uh, you know it's the same kind of concept. <clears throat> so what we did, <clears throat> excuse me, what we did is very early on. I figured out what are nonprofits that work in education or social impact. I kind of like Googled all of them. And then what I would do is I would call them. And this is when I was a part of the entrepreneurial incubator incubator at NYU. They told us that we need to be able to understand the competitive landscape so that we can understand what would be our point of differentiation and what would make us, you know, stand out in the space that we're operating in. So one of the things we did is we called other nonprofits. I even went to some of their offices. And at the time, they didn't really see it. They just saw us as, ah, oh, this is a young guy just trying to start something. But, um, you know, I asked them questions. I was like, hey, like, what is your what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in, your, in 
what you're trying to accomplish with helping people of color. And we would hear things like, hey, you know, we're able to attract women of different demographics to our program, but black males is a huge issue for us because black males in the United States were the highest dropouts, lowest college graduates, so on and so forth. They're like, we just can't crack the code with being able to engage black males effectively. So that was something that we thought about and we were like, okay, so there's other, and this was a, a issue between a lot of nonprofits. And I was talking to people who work in foundations who fund these nonprofits as well, and they would echo the same sentiment. So I was like, okay, so what we need to do as an organization is create this kind of experience that people of all demographics can be able to relate to, but where we don't isolate or alienate black males where they feel just as accepted and just as engaged and just as uh, involved. And I'm happy to say that, you know, demo, out of our demographics, not only is in the United States black male, a black, uh, the black community of the largest demographic of people we serve, but also we have a very strong representation of black males. And um, it's just so important because I want to see people, whether you're black, white, Asian, Latinx, whatever demographic you are, we want to see everybody get a fair shot at success. And now we're making that a bit more equitable. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that, you know, what we're also seeing is, you know, as you as you mentioned, looking at kind of trying to include everybody, you know, black, white, Asian, Latina, etc. You you've taken the business international. You know, tell me tell me how did how did that start? How do you manage to get into the UK, into India, I think the Philippines as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So our thought was, all right, so we're working with these large companies. And one of the things to be the best at what we do, it was important that we were able to service the company's employees beyond just the United States market, right? If these are global companies. Why not be the nonprofit that can provide the same services with their departments or with their uh, corporate offices internationally? So that was the first thought. And then we were like, and not only that, it's also the need. We were like, okay, when we look at the UK, whether it's the partition of British India or whether it's the Windrush generation, there are people of color in those places that are, even though it's not exactly the same as the US, there's similarities in the socioeconomic differences between people of those demographics. So I was like, okay, there's that. And then you think about Canada. So I was like, okay, first step, Let's go to English speaking markets. That's the first thing we can do. Mm -hmm. And so companies were always bringing up the UK because the UK is obviously a huge player in global business. So the UK was always a big conversation. And then also Canada was a, a big conversation. So we we're like, all right, let's go to US and Canada. So we spent months, our team studying everything. Why are the certain economic issues here um, within the UK? What it was, was it? We studied the policy level. We studied systems. We studied the educational system, like all of that for the UK and Canada. We had a whole team research those things for months. And then once we did that, then we brought it to liaisons and had those liaisons verify that this was accurate. So people from those places who work within those industries and work within those systems, we asked them, is this accurate based off what we researched? And then they gave us verification what was accurate and what needed to be modified. And then from that point, we were like, okay, so now let's modify it culturally too, because one of the things that's important is we don't want to be an organization that comes in to the UK. And of course there's cross 
uh, you know, pollination and cross culture between the music we listen to, the foods we consume, the ways we dress. But we wanted it to be very authentic to the UK. So what we did is we studied the artists. We studied who was charting. We studied what the students were watching on shows and what they, all the stuff that they were consuming so that when we brought it to them. It was a UK version of the diversity organization. Same thing, a Canadian version of the diversity org. And so that's how it started. And we went out there, we did our events. We were so successful. We collect data after every event from the employees and the students. And they said it was some of the best events they ever been to. Some people saying it was the best, you know, education, social impact event they have ever been to, period. So I was like, okay, if we can be the best in the US and now in the UK, we can be recognized as that as well. Let's try to continue to scale it. So that's where we are now. Where then, some, and then of course, India is a huge uh, industry, a, a huge market for so many different corporations and industries. So we went to India is our next move. We're going there in the fall of this year. The Philippines was also a big one, and because they speak a lot of them speak English as well. Um, so yeah, you know that's what. And now there's just been so much demand. They think where people are asking about South Africa, of course, Paris, of course, uh, you know, all over the world. You know, it's been it's been amazing. So. That's a little bit of kind of how we grew and where we are yeah. today. Now, that's great. And, you know, I've obviously had uh, the pleasure of being able to see uh, this working firsthand through in former markets. But tell me a little bit more about some of the amazing outcomes. What are you actually seeing both from uh, the students, but also from the companies that, that you're working and possibly beyond as well? Yeah, great question. So, well, there's so many outcomes. And the greatest part about this is that this is just the beginning. You know, this is not even scratching the surface of where it's going to go, because the goal is, is we want people to go in the, the, the long term goal is you go into any company, you go into any industry and there's <clears throat> equal diversity. You see the same amount of black, the same amount of Asian, the same amount of white, the same amount of uh, Hispanic, the same amount of whatever demographic. That's the goal, you know, because sometimes you'll go into specific events or industries and you'll only see one demographic. And although it's great that that demographic is able to be a part of that industry, it's almost a detriment to that industry as well, because they're not able to get diverse thought, diverse perspective, diverse, you know, so, so much that that industry can develop in advance if they have more diversity in it as well. Diversity truly does matter. Right. So um, with that being said, that is our long term goal. But the short term, what we've saw for our corporate clients has been amazing. Right. Our events influence employee retention and employee satisfaction. Right. So if companies are already going to spend millions of dollars in hiring people every single year because they keep leaving, um, you might as well invest some of those resources into finding ways to have them stay while simultaneously having your company be more socially responsible and socially equitable. So um, employee satisfaction and retention is huge for the companies, as well as they're able to actually make a difference for the communities who consume their products or who the communities that they benefit from. So um, really, really impactful for companies in a plethora of ways. Of course, we do press. So companies are able to really, their company is able to be recognized as a socially responsible company nationally or globally. So that's huge for the companies. And then for the students, it's just like a dream come true, right? They're going to have way more information than your generation, my generation, all the generations before us ever had. You, you're going to be 16 and know about aviation, right? You're going to be 16 and know about um, manufacturing. You're going to be 16 and know about fashion. 
You're going to be 16 and know about finance, right? Like they're going to have so much more information and options when they are graduating, graduating secondary school or high school. Um, they're going to be, uh, it's going to be a different generation, the next generation. So, um, and a lot of students, we've helped them get internships with incredible companies, everything from Versace to HSBC to Peloton and putting people of color in these industries that have never been in them is just so rewarding. And we're, we're going to get the best ideas when we, diversity is at the forefront. We're going to get the best ideas. It's going to be so much innovation in the next few years. And this is just the beginning. We're just getting started. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fantastic. I mean, I love, I love seeing how inspired and excited the students are when they come to these workshops. And, you know, I honestly believe that by coming to these workshops, they may get one small nugget of information or, or see something that will change their lives forever, um, positively, of course. But, you know, and they may not see it straight away, right? They, it, it may be a few years down the road and they'll kind of think back to, hey, when I went to diversity orgs workshop and you know saw a show this is where i am today um as a result of that so it it's it really is fantastic and if there's any listeners out there that have not engaged yet with diversity org for their company this is a no-brainer you need to be you need to be thinking about this because you know as as joshua's mentioned you know diversity Diversity does matter, but we do need to have a diverse world to be truly successful. Um, so tell me, um, you know, you, you've over nine years built a very successful organization that is continuing to grow. Is there anything that as you were first starting this up, would you would look back and, and do differently today? Really great question. Hmm. I stump you there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to rush into it. I want to give you, you know, a calculated response. I want to really think about it. Uh, that was good, though. Um, to be honest, I have been extremely devoted to the cause, right? You know, whether, you know, I wasn't, I, I'm, I'm committed to helping the students get what they need. So I have been very invested very early. I've been doing 100 hour weeks sometimes working just to be able to build the organization where at one point I was every position that exists in the organization. Now we have, you know, a lot of people working for us. But at the time, you know, I've I, so I would say I didn't really skip any steps or or, you know, try to skip the process. I really trusted the process and everything possible that I could have done. I really did. The only I mean, maybe we could have posted more content. But I don't want the, you know, our content generation to be able to for that to be able to distract from actually getting good at what we needed to do and building curriculum and building programs. So, I mean, maybe spent more time in building content, but to be real, we didn't skip any steps. We, there was no shortcuts and we, we 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 did what we needed to do to be able you to get to thorough. where we are. So. Yeah. <laughs> thorough, as they say, right? <laughs> No, it's great. And I think the other unique, yeah, the other unique thing about the diversity org is that, you know, you know how to kind of engage with the big corporate organizations, but equally, you know how to engage with the, you know, the students, you know, you tune into the, the kind of the music and the fashion and the things that, you know, they know and love. 
and you'll be able to kind of really kind of match those those things up. And I think that is that is a unique quality that, that your company has for sure going forward. Exactly. Was that planned at all? Did, was that how you kind of thought about it? Yes. You know what's interesting? Because, uh, I, I, you know, as I kind of mentioned throughout the conversation, I believe in God. So, um, and as a Christian, you know, um, there's a lot of, I saw when I was very young, how the traditional church was like the experience was. And then I saw how the kind of like modernization of church, as far as like mm-hmm. how, pe- how things were set up aesthetically, I saw that, sh- I saw that shift and what that did for an entire generation. So the blueprint of the diversity was kind of emulating that in a way where I was like, I remember going to church young, my uncles, grandma, full suits, you know, the hats, they were going, you know, very, very, you know, um, a a very specific kind of attire that they were wearing at that time. Then I saw a a time where then pastors started to wear sneakers and they started to wear the, you know, and they were, they were kind of cooler and they were using cultural references that were relevant to what was going on in culture. And I saw how, in a time where it was almost perfect. It was a time where I was just maturating into my own, you know, perspectives on things and not no longer just thinking how my parents thought. I saw that shift and I was like, the fact that they were able to culturally relate to me, it kept me retained. It kept me excited. It kept me passionate about continuing to come back. And so when I looked at the education system, the education system is one of the most antiquated systems that exist, right? You know, Think about it. A lot of schools weren't even using technology before the pandemic happened and Zoom started to infiltrate. Um, a lot of schools weren't using technology. A lot of schools still to this day don't teach students about college majors. You're going to graduate from high school and never have a class that teaches you about uh, the specific majors you should select. Right. There is, you know, there's so many industries that are growing, everything from AI to, you know, so many different industries that are growing that schools haven't integrated. And I was looking at that and I'm like, and then I'm looking at the assemblies. I'm like, these things don't relate to students. Students don't enjoy this. Why can't education be fun? Why can't it be impactful? And why can't it be relevant to their age group? So that's exactly what I, that same kind of model that I saw happen in church. I was like, instead of having these boring assemblies, let's dress it up. Let's put these these uh, these stage lights. Let's talk to the students in a way that's relevant to them so that we can actually relate to them. Let's put the music that they actually like to hear when they come into the environment. The same level of potency within education, if not more, they're, they're, getting, that, they're getting that potency, but it's delivered to them in a way that's exciting for them. The way we use that, the, the analogy we use is almost like, it's almost like you can get a vitamin that just is the vitamin that's just, you know, just the ingredients for what should be in that environment. And then you sh- then there's also the vitamins that taste good. And it's the same, the same result that your body is getting, but one you actually enjoy taking. And so that's kind of the perspective that we wanted for students. So it was very calculated to be able to do that because we want to actually impact them. Brilliant. So coming up to nine years in and growing and highly successful, tell me, what does Diversity Org look like in, say, five years' time? <laughs> Mike is a great question, man. I love diversity matters. Um, so a lot of the things like kind of rewinding five years ago, we knew that we would be here, but we've actually already passed what we thought we would be in five years. We've, we've surpassed that significantly. So now to think five years, I may say certain things right now, but they may get accomplished in a year or two years mm-hmm. based on how fast the organization is growing. So, but 
to be honest, what I think five years, at, we would at least have um, 100 people on our team. We're going to have multiple travel teams being able to provide impact for students all across the globe. And we're going to be in significantly more countries. Um, we're going to be able to have events in more than in the English language, whether it's Hindi, whether it's Spanish, whether whatever, French. There's going to be a, a expansion as far as language integration of the experience, but kind of keeping the same blueprint, but just mm -hmm. making it more and more culturally relevant to specific uh, locations globally. And yeah, just more expansion globally, more impact. The goal is more students, especially our talent pipeline program, really growing that even more significantly. Ugh. Thousands of students getting internships and jobs from these multi-billion dollar companies every single year. That's the, that's the goal. That's the vision. More HBCUs. We already have a very great HBCU relationships, but more historically black universities, more Hispanic serving institutions, um, really just growing everything that we currently are doing on a much larger scale. But then also back to something that one of the first things I communicated about, about entrepreneurship. Um, really creating more VC venture capital for uh, young entrepreneurs of color as well, because there's a lot of talented entrepreneurs. But like I said earlier, it's not that they aren't determined and it's not that they're not intelligent enough. It's that quite literally they just don't even have the capital. So if I can have some of the corporations that we work with, especially financial institutions, start to invest capital into the next generation of entrepreneurs, we'll even see more diversity in entrepreneurship. So the next Elon Musk can be any ethnicity or any gender or the next Mark Zuckerberg or the next Steve Jobs can be any gender identity or any ethnicity because it was actual um, equity in the social capital and the investing in the entrepreneurship from a very early stage. Great stuff. Listen, uh, I got a, a last question for you here. Um, do you, can you see diversity org actually hiring several of the students that have gone through your program? Short answer is yes. And we have already done it. So oh, wow. <laughs> look at you. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. And, yeah, there's. I'll share a story. I, I love his story because um, it's really interesting for a lot of reasons. But there's a lot of students that were, you know, we would continue to hire. But this one specific story is interesting. So there's this guy named Odane who works on our team right now, and he is about eight years younger than me. He's eight years younger than me, and he works on our team. And so we didn't. We went. To, we grew up in the same town, the same city. Teaneck, New Jersey, but we didn't know each other because we're eight years apart. You know, who, who <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm I was significantly older than him. So, with that being said, because what I'm gonna if I was in twelfth grade, I mean, he was in like fifth grade, right? So, I, how would I know a fifth grader? So, from my town. So, what ended up happening? He went to Morehouse University, and he was a freshman at Morehouse University, and he was a part of a student club. Our organization came and spoke to Morehouse University. And what ended up happening is he got an intern. He went through the you know events and programs like the ones that we do with informal markets and a lot of other companies. He went through those programs. He ended up getting an internship at the company Peloton. Peloton hired him, paid him you know really well for a summer exploratory finance internship at Peloton. He finishes Peloton internship and he says, look, it was great working in the global corporate company. It was great uh, being a part of the workshops with all these different companies. But we want to come in. I, he said, I want to be able to 
give a student the opportunity that I got. I want to be able to continue to push our culture forward and give students an opportunity to be able to be whatever they can be. So now he works with us. He's a community engagement manager. Uh, he started just as a speaker. Now he's a manager. And um, yeah, and now he tried, he, our first time going to the UK he, as an organization, he was with us. Uh, he's done events for a lot of great companies, everything from JP Morgan Chase to AT&T to Kellogg. And he's changing the world at a young age. And so uh, we're more than happy. If a student's like, hey, I would love to work with your organization, we'd love to work with them as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Listen, Joshua, you are certainly an innovator and a change maker. Um, I really want to thank you for thank joining you. Diversity Matters. I'm sure people listening to um your story will be inspired by the things that you're doing and also by the things that you've done and the things that you're saying. So good luck for everything that you do with Diversity Org in the future. And I hope they just grow from strength to strength. Thanks very much for joining. Thank you so much, Mike. And before we close, can I say one last thing? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. I would like, I would like to ask you, why was it important <clears throat> for you, I, I know I'm kind of flipping it, <laughs> flipping, but I want our episode to be, uh, you know, as interesting as possible. So I wanted to know for Diversity Matters, you know, I understand what you do in your position at Informa Markets and the impact that you make on a global scale. But for you to say, OK, I do that professionally every day, but now I also are in building a platform where diversity can be communicated on a podcast kind of uh, format. Why was it important for you to create Diversity Matters? I'm just as a as a fellow yeah. entrepreneur, I'm interested to hear. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is certainly in this job that I'm doing, and even in previous roles where I've I've travelled in most companies I've worked for, I enjoy meeting people. But mostly since I've been doing uh, the role as a diversity and inclusion director, I am fascinated by what people are doing, some of the stories and their experiences. And there are people out there doing absolutely fantastic things, but nobody knows about it. And I wanted to be able to create this platform to to really kind of share their stories with others, you know, as well as hear the experiences of people and maybe some of the challenges that they've had, you know, growing and developing. Um, so I'm very passionate about being able to kind of, you know, lift up the voices of people doing great things out there, or even the people who might be struggling and providing some level of support and inspiration for them to, you know, to build their own selves up as well. So that's, that's the main reason. And, and I enjoy doing this as well. So yeah, that's me. It's a, it's a super important platform. And I think that a lot of people are not just going to be inspired, but they'll be educated. And, you know, the conversations are light, but still informative. I'm really excited to see where diversity matters uh, continues to grow. And I'd love to come back. I'll be a reoccurring guest. Whenever you want oh. me to come back, let me know, Mike. <laughs> oh, you will be very welcome. I'm sure that we'll have you back on the show. But uh, great. Anyway, listen, good luck. And once again, thanks very much. Thank you. listening to this episode of diversity matters if you liked what you heard then be sure to hit like and subscribe and we'll see you next time